All right. Good morning, eager listeners. Uh, well, it's morning for us. We're not exactly streaming, I suppose. But welcome to our fifteenth, I think. Yeah, fifteenth. Number number numbered fifteenth episode of Empathic Futures Labs, the show exploring the futures that we live in through a human-focused perspective. I totally butchered that again. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like flipped around. Either way, uh, I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And today's topic is, I think it's going to be a pretty fun one, one that I found myself increasingly more interested in over the last six months or so, seven months, eight months maybe. It's hard to say when these things start and stop. But I found myself increasingly interested in it, and I think uh, Chris has as well. Not to and the extent that you are, so we'll see. Maybe you'll convince me this morning. Oh, it's more more so me? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, it's not that I, I'm uninterested in it, but I think you're much more interested in it. So yeah, it'll be no, good to get that perspective. It's definitely probably true. And yeah, so, so what, what, are, what we're going to be looking at today is the idea of future fiction i guess i guess is kind of what we're dealing with so quote-unquote sci-fi but i think i think what we're talking about is a little bit different from sci-fi and that sci-fi should be rooted in science more so than anything else versus Um, what you're interested in in terms of future for future fiction is not rooted in sci-fi or science well, I don't think that either of us can call ourselves scientists, so I don't know if what we could call what we're looking at science fiction. Hmm. I think I think the idea of science fiction versus like design fiction or some other sort of fiction, future fiction. I think I think they they're kind of a little bit different. Science fiction I think primarily should be rooted in science, whereas what we're looking at, I think what we talk about like definitely could be science fiction but it might also take the form of some other sort of fiction um but i I think pardon fair enough yeah and i think you know maybe we can categorize these groups that we're that we're looking at for starters anyway okay um hopefully we're a little bit more alert as we're doing it this in the morning for like i think the first time we've ever done one of these in the morning yeah um so i definitely feel more energized than i usually do for these things (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I guess let's get this underway. All right. So how do you want to how do you want to start this off? Yeah. So I think there there are a number of groups, at least from a design perspective, that have approached the uh, or dealt with fiction and, and how they and in, integrate that into their practice or how it is their whole practice. Um, Gosh, this is going to be tough because, um, unfortunately, in the morning, my nose is always stuffed up. So hopefully that doesn't become too much of a problem. All right, well, let's see what we can do. I'll Uh, try and edit edit some of it out. Yeah, but one of the groups uh, primarily that I love is uh, Archigram. And there's also, so there's a couple historic groups. There's there's maybe one or two uh, that we're also, or three that we're actually looking at that are doing this today. Uh, so the historic ones are Archigram and Ant Farm, and maybe like Buckminster Fuller. Maybe he's more scientist. Yeah, yeah, he might actually fit into the realm of science fiction more so than design fiction. That's that's a good point actually. While Archigram and Ant Farm are much more designerly based uh, or reactionary to to cultural mm-hmm. uh, 
definitely socio-cultural um, uh, instigators. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good point. We can get into that a little bit more. And then the, the more recent ones, I think might be interesting in talking about briefly, are Jimenez Lai, the Near Future Laboratory, which is a industrial design agency. I mean, they, I don't know if they fit that well into that category, but I don't think they're necessarily working at the scale of architecture. And then um, Tomorrow's Thoughts Today, which uh, with Liam Young, who's heading up the, the uh, fiction and entertainment uh, program at SciArc, which uh, is becoming increasingly more interesting to me, along with this whole topic in general. Anyway. Uh, let's start with Archigram and Ant Farm because I think they're definitely kind of similar. While Ant Farm was located in LA, I think, or San Francisco um, in the US, Archigram was located in, uh, in London. And I think, you know, you have to kind of think of the culture of the time and what was going on when these groups uh, came into existence. Uh, so Archigram exists in London, I think, and it was, an, it, was a, it was a number of individuals that had, I think, just recently, relatively recently graduated from school, architectural school that is, and were bored at their jobs, much like, um, it, I think it, it can be a fairly common thing that you graduate from school uh, with these fantastic thoughts of what, uh, what practice is going to be like, and then it turns out practice is much more practical than maybe you thought. <laughs> right, right. What, what's the what's the intellectual outlet? And so, you know, with that, you know, you also have the whole countercultural movement that's starting uh, in the late '60s, early '70s, and Archie Graham and Ant Farm both established themselves during this time. And I think the Beatles were also yeah, probably about the similar time into popularity at this yeah. time, and and so there's a huge shift. What was what people were really talking about, and this notion of reactionary reactionaryism, or how you respond to the way that the culture is changing, I think is really how these two groups uh, establish themselves. Archigram, in particular. Yeah. Well, it seems it's, it seems very poppy and. Uh, oh yeah, know, definitely. You know, yeah. Uh, They're both very tied to that. Poppy and commune commune like in some sense, or like, I don't know, it's like transient in. Yeah, I mean, both groups were very much tied to that notion of, and I mean, he also had the, I think around the same time that these groups were popular was the the energy crisis as well, Mm -hmm. establishing itself. Um, Right. So the idea of leaving like a soft touch and how you can exist in an environment in a more simple way. Uh Uh-huh. You're right. More simple way, maybe less uh, less tied to things or less tied to places. More, right. More and about... so both, yeah, both groups, along with House Rucker Co. Rucker, however, company, however, that's however you pronounce that. Um, they're looking at the idea of inflatables and what it means to exist transient. Um, is all tied to like Woodstock and the idea of the music festival and this communal living. Um, so they're very much interested in the elements of the time, and they're definitely, I think, would fit into that category of cultural fiction. 
or yeah. social fiction. Yeah. Where they're taking they're taking what is happening then and now um, and exploring ideas of how that might look in the near future if this continues. Unfortunately, things happened, and um, a lot of these things never really worked out uh, the way that they saw it would in history took a different turn as we moved into like the Reagan era. Um, yeah. Okay. Next two, probably. So that, that was those two groups, and Buckminster Fuller, I think, when was he busy? When I feel was like he, he was like working 50s to 60s? I feel like it's probably more 50s, 40s and 50s even. He, he, I think he was older. Maybe it spanned like 50s to 80s because there's a lot of stuff published here. And then Cedric Price as well might fit fit nicely with Buckminster Fuller. Yeah, sure. maybe they're a little more on the, the, the techno-science side than the yeah. sort of pop fiction yeah. side. And so maybe maybe that's almost more science fiction. Definitely Buckminster Fuller. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe Cedric Price kind of fits right. in between those, right. in between Buckminster Fuller and the um, you know the other like Archigram and Ant Farm. Mm-hmm. But you know he's he's exploring these ideas of how do you is there a way in which you can kind of contain Manhattan and put this whole dome yeah. over the entire thing and and what effect would that have right well i think buckminster fuller he's like his stuff's actually been built though like it's it's less i don't know there's maybe i don't know what the distinction is between speculative design and design fiction maybe there's really not one but it seemed buckminster fuller was much more uh less speculative because some of his stuff was actually built like his geodesic domes were actually built versus well yeah a lot of this stuff is purely made up speculative fiction work which is fine um, well I think I think if he, if, yeah like his structures were built and I don't know enough about Buckminster Fuller to actually talk really well about this so yeah. maybe we should come back to this topic again once we can kind of really flesh it out right. but I did want to kind of approach this from a practical perspective and how you can do this in practice mm-hmm. and so I wanted to run through quick examples Gotcha. But for Buckminster Fuller, like he had the Expo Pavilion in, in Montreal, and then I've actually visited one of the ones that he did. I think I think it was one of his uh, domes in uh, St. Louis at the gardens there. Uh-huh. And then and there's probably a couple more that were built. And then you know those those works can kind of fit along the lines of like what Fry Otto was doing, I think, as well hmm. um, during a what similar is, time the period. The tension things. Pardon? The tension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, they they seem kind of similar in terms of what they're doing, but a lot of the work that Buckminster Fuller was looking at, and like I said, I can't really speak to it well enough. And this guy's like the smartest architect that's ever existed, too. So, um, but I think there's a lot of work in terms of the program and how the spaces are deployed that did that was never established. You know. Uh huh. Um, no, you're just that, making things in, in, in the terms system. of like the large, the scaleness of the Manhattan right. idea and so forth, and then and, and then groups like Super Studio are also working at like a similar scale. Yeah, huge, um, huge scale projects. Yeah. All right, so that brings us to today. So, uh, is that where you want? Where do you want to go next? Yeah. So then a couple groups today. So we were in school maybe three years ago, four years ago. And Jimenez Lai came and gave a lecture. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say it was probably like four years ago. First year of grad school. 
So okay, probably so about, about four, four, years four years ago, yeah. Yeah, and Jimenez Lai gave a lecture and talked about how he uses uh, this comic book type storytelling almost. Yeah. Uh, to talk about it was it was kind of a reflection on his experiences though, right? Yeah, it was sort of a, a necessarily future based. Right, it was sort of a narration of his life. Yeah, which. I think was kind of interesting, and as a graphic, I think it was pretty compelling. In terms of a practical use, I think it was like exhibited, and it's one of these treatise books, and it's kind of a wallpaper. But I don't know, and I, I suppose he's used it to that notion to kind of continue as a method of form building and so forth. But I don't know. Right. What do you? What thoughts do you have about his work? I I never really got what was so amazing about his work it just seems like a bunch of loopy weird loopy things right that, that's kind of <laughs> my my take on it i'm, just, I'm kind yeah. of scrolling through it right now but yeah, I, I never understood it, and it I, you know for those listening i would suggest you do the same like go go to these links we'll have these links included and you can kind of take a look at these things as as we talk about it it's just on the podcast you know I, I i understand the notion of design fiction i I've even uh, written about it to a certain extent. I think it's, I think it's useful, but it seems like I don't know. I I just don't get his work. I think in terms of it seems much more like eye candy or uh, looking at form just to look at form more than more than actual useful fictional work. But maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's something in, more in depth that I need to get into. I don't know. Well, maybe someone can comment and write write us. Right. On, on you know figuring out what that right path is, or maybe Jordan's actually committed to UCLA, so maybe she can talk to him yeah. and figure out so what exactly is going have a, on. In defense of him and his lie episode, because in my yeah. mind he needs it in terms of I just don't understand his work. <laughs> oh, it looks great. No place. That was the that's the that's the work, isn't it? That's the book. Yeah. That's the, the the primary book that he started with. That's right. That's right. I mean, it looks and, good, but I, mean, I just don't get it. If it's a about experience and sort of his interpretation of the experience and then how he uses that as like the hand right as the drawing hand to determine what alternative ways for these forms to be established that you know i think it's kind of interesting but it's it's rooted in a pretty singular thing then and so i guess the question is whether or not that's really valid right right and it's, it's like what's the difference between like purely creative art and actual design and i think this kind of falls more on the art side just because i don't see much of a point to it beyond right a formal and, expression but anyway it's all, yeah i think i mean looking more at this stuff i really want to build from your point looking more at this stuff that he has here and you remember thomas barger from our class right mm -hmm. and do you know the stuff that he's doing now not not familiar with it. Okay. So he's the work that he's doing now, and I find it really similar. If you find Superbot Kitchen on Bureau Spectacular's uh, page, it's 2012. But if so, Thomas Barger, who was in our class for undergrad, uh, he just had a, a, a exhibit opening at a Salon 94 or whatever in New York City. It's a gallery, and his work that he's doing now it's furniture. So I guess it's like furniture design technically, but it's mostly art. But he'll take he'll take found pieces of furniture and take those and reestablish them as like a piece of his memory. 
basically. Uh-huh. And so what he does is he takes those found pieces of furniture and builds out on them and with paper mache and really cool cut colors and establishes that and then tells a story about how that relates to his experience or his memory. Huh. Um, okay. Which, which I think is kind of, kind of interesting. Hmm. Either way, Bureau Spectacular, I think, is one that is doing some sort of fictional, it's like experience fiction. Almost, right. Well, I, I think maybe this, I'd like to maybe take a point and say like, what, how do you design, or how do you define design fiction versus just like speculative design, right? So I think, I think that's kind of what I'm getting to. Okay. Because you know? to think, me, this is more speculative design, but anyway, continue. Yeah, I think this, I think this is speculative, I think like fiction or just art, I guess, it's it's really tough to say because I think the idea that you root one in like a heavy research background and then look at the translation from one from from that research to the like the fantastical proposal, the fictional proposal, the future the future fiction proposal, whether it's from a societal background or cultural background or science or some other sort of research, I think. What, what category would you put that in? Design fiction? I think so. I th- it's hard to really... I don't know. I, in my head, I have this, this sort of association between fiction and... Fiction in design writing and fiction in, like, novel writing, right? It's like you have this sort of well-put-together novel that follows some person through their life, and you have character development and all that. And in my mind, maybe this is kind of a false equivalency but i'm kind of equivalating um design fiction with novel writing in a sense and and i think that's where it comes down to what you're talking about of doing a lot of research and sort of preparation work before you kind of design this thing well that's kind of like the historical fiction right well no because you have to even even regular fiction you have to follow people around and really understand like my when I read fiction, I usually tend to read these like mystery thriller books, and I love the government ones with like the secret agents or whatever, and FBI agents and all that. And then you kind of have to have a, a reasonable understanding of government process and and police process and what a lifestyle of these people okay. are to make it believable, right? And I think that's where our, whether it's historical fiction or purely new fiction doing some sort of research into the culture and the lifestyle of people you are trying to represent correct um, represent you do it correctly and do it in a believable way and that's where I see design fiction is as your in, in a sense it's like science fiction but it, it has to be de- believable it can't just be this sort of goofy thing that you're doing or at least that's my view of it okay I think there was a couple more groups. So it's tomorrow's thoughts today. I just want to throw these out real quick. Okay. And the near future lab. And I'm going to try to respond to you by talking about these okay. quickly. And then talking about what I think I'm interested in as a process. Right. Um, so tomorrow's thoughts today uh, is run by Liam Young and maybe one other person, I think, Daryl Chen. Um and I think it grew into this fiction and entertainment group at SciArc, which is a program that I've also become really interested in. And then, and so they go through and they have all sorts of different ways and media of exploring how a fictional future environment uh, will exist. But I think what might be more important to talk about in response to what you were talking about was this near future lab laboratory 
which is this industrial design-ish based group that starts with a research-based background and then moves into design fiction. And I think that might be really what you're talking about. Yeah, it's probably closer to what I'm talking about um, in, in the sense that they're, they're, they're trying to apply future sort of oriented, future-oriented thoughts to products of today. Um, just perusing their website right earlier, saw that like future of Ikea catalog, Internet of Things Ikea catalog, and it's just this right. like Ikea catalog for the future. It's, it's, it's pretty cool, or it looks yeah. pretty cool. I think one thing that's important to point out is that we we should acknowledge that any any time that you do a rendering or any any architectural proposal that doesn't exist today it could be considered a piece of fiction. Yeah. No, but I, I, I think, think if... what and I mean that kind of exists on a gradient, right? Right. And I think what we're really interested in talking about is what's on the fringe or at the edge of, of what it really means to talk about a future fictional environment mm -hmm. um, and then how far out do you extend uh, that radius in terms of time really yeah um, yeah no i think that's a good point yeah, that sorry. everything everything that's not real i guess is is in a sense fiction and i think that's a good point good thing to keep in perspective yeah with that said the work of near future laboratory and maybe tomorrow's i mean definitely tomorrow's thoughts today and archigram and most of these that we've talked about so far, Ant Farm, Super Studio, they're taking a fundament, fundamental background about today's culture or environment and projecting that forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the research is really important. And what maybe set it a little bit apart from the idea of a novel or, I mean, maybe, maybe not necessarily, but maybe, maybe I'm reading into how you're describing it differently. But... The work that I'm interested in is is taking something about today and projecting that forward. So taking you know real research that we do now and and how you look at that into the future. Right. Um, you know that can be done through a variety of media. A lot of the Cyark Tomorrow's Thoughts Today stuff is done through uh, film, for instance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Archigram was working through collage. Right, right. I, I, maybe my distinction is just in terms of usefulness too. Like I could see that what you're describing being really useful, um, and not to keep bashing on him and his lie, um, but he's already been brought up. So I think it's a good example that I just I, I'd like to touch on is like, I, I I guess I see less of how his work is useful outside of maybe an artistic installation or even I mean there are more architectural installations too, right? Uh, maybe just some sort of experiential creative experiential art installation in a way um that happens right. to be more architectural and just because it's spatial and uh, spatial right. and scale uh versus well, think... what you're describing is something that can be used to sort of help in a way build a path towards the future in a way that we want it to happen or right. provide a timeline or a i don't know how you describe it sort of a recipe for or things to think about for the future that like in a good or bad way that we keep in mind. Um, in a lot of ways that science fiction has done and right. really has actually helped pave the way for science to develop. Right, right. Right, they set up these narrative as narratives and then a lot of times science follows the narrative. Right. Just to an extent. And that's, that's, that's really what the purpose of this is. While I think Jimenez Lai, what he does is useful, I think it's useful to him as a process of design, yeah. designing today. 
yeah, it's useful for him to create things. And maybe it's less yeah. useful as a roadmap to the future or a uh, right a guide to the future in a sense, which is right. kind of what, what you're talking about, I think. Yeah, and I think that's when when this the topic that who knows what we're gonna title this. I was trying to think of like what title we would give this, but either way, yeah. I think I think that's really important to make that distinction right. when we talk about these right. these different groups. That what we're really interested in is how you take how you research really rigorously what is going on today. And, and how you translate that research to these fantastical proposals. Uh, it, it is true, right? It's science fiction, what you brought up about design, science fiction leading us towards a scientific future, design fiction kind of lead us towards a designed future. Um, mm-hmm. Or sort of, you know, I, I read this uh, thing on Fast Company last night. It was sort of this skeptic's uh, defense of, of design thinking, and they had this sort of short article of, or short, mini series on one person i think it was some lady high up in the in the design agency pentagram sort of not appreciating the idea of design thinking and then this one guy sort of trying to defend design thinking and and the way he sort of went about defending it was saying that uh maybe designers are trying to defend their turf too much in terms of design is our territory we don't want other people taking it and and design thinking is sort of the democratization of design terminology to non-designers in in a sense right it's how do you bring this idea of design to people who weren't trained in design and his the point he made was that you look at technology and you see like these movements where like everybody can code right it's like democratization of coding and the fact that more people like myself or like yourself are coding at a low level kind of brings this appreciation of what really good code is and sort of brings this appreciation of how hard it is to code um, or engineer something. But at the same time, it also allows you to, even with this sort of minimal knowledge of engineering or coding, allows you to speak the language of coding, right? And, and, and right. understand it what you're... It allows you to build that collaborative... It'll, yeah, it allows you to build the collaborative, collaborative thing because you can start to co uh, and or take these uh, take these words such as he used the terms like alpha and beta or, or 1.0 and 2.0 like we kind of right. as a society understand what that is and he's like isn't that sort of something that's good for design to be able to say well, take design thinking and now I understand design terminology and his well, point was this... oh go ahead sorry sorry no finish, finish. Okay, I, and the last point was that he made was it's hard for designers like how many designers can go out and tell their mom what they do for a daily on a daily day way like i can't um not that my mom wouldn't understand it's just like the vocabulary i think that we use is just not there for her or for people who aren't in the design business and i think that's a really good point that how can we talk to these people right and that kind of reminded me of the design fiction conversation yeah, and when you bring more people to the table like that, you kind of maybe bring some air of capitalism to it in which you're increasing the competitiveness. You're increasing what you actually have to do to stay at the front. Right, and, and in a sense, it's also sort of marketing. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to relate that back to design fiction and science fiction because science fiction is a mainstream genre now, right? There are TV shows and movies and really popular novels that get people thinking about science 
or the future of science in this very everyday way. I don't know if that's really the case for design. There's not really design fiction novels or TV shows or, or whatnot. Maybe everything in a sense you could say is design fiction, but like, it's also not. It's or not intentional well, in the same it way. most often, I think, runs the guise of science fiction, but it's definitely not. Yeah. Right. I mean, everything, it's hard for design because in a sense, everything is design, but maybe yeah, it's well, sort of a prioritization of values. Right. That's why I would maybe tie it to like what Archigram is doing or what people at Tomorrow's Thoughts Today are doing in, in terms of what may be a cultural or social mm -hmm. fiction or environmental fiction, right. whatever category you want to give it. Right. Right. Um, right. Well, it, yeah. the other thing that this article brought up, this Fast Company article brought up that I just thought of again was um, you look at all this stuff happening with Facebook and and it's it's completely in the media being blamed as a tech problem and they're like engineers have to solve this right um, but they never say it's not a tech problem it's a design problem in tech right and designers have to solve this which in essence you could say is perhaps more important is how this interface is designed than just a tech problem right and a right, data storage problem a lot of the tools that people are asking for exist <laughs> right. on Facebook. It's just, it may be fragmented in some way, which it, it kind of maybe is, maybe fragmented in some way or not super understandable in how you get to it, even though it may be easy to get to. Right. Or maybe it's just poorly represented, poorly designed for the everyday person. And it's like, yeah. well, you just do it better. <clears throat> it's there, you just do it better. Um, Anyway, I probably want to head to work in like 10, 15 minutes. So All right. let's uh, move on to, I want to hear about this um, proposal you have for your your. Okay, yeah, so seminar. we have a couple things that we probably need to get through pretty quickly. So pitched a proposal to this, the school director about doing uh, this fiction seminar in which you, you work for six weeks really intensely on some sort of relevant cultural, social, economical, environmental, whatever uh, issue, and you research the crap out of it and figure out what are the pain points and, and where, um, where there, what one pain point or something you might be able to address with, it, with an idea. Mm -hmm. And then what's really, really important, what I'm really interested in is how you take that core, that core nugget, that core issue, and translate that to a really fantastical proposal. Uh -huh. The idea of doing this in a seminar is that you have maybe 10, 15 students that are doing it and have 10, 15 different ways of making that translation. And I really am interested in seeing how people make that translation uh, because that's that's really the core thing. Um, because you can have the fiction and you can have the research, but how do you get from one to the next, I think is the really fascinating part. Yeah, I think that would be great. Um... And you're, you're thinking anything, right? It's not just necessarily architectural. I think the proposals will kind of follow a more architectural medium in terms of how they're described. Uh -huh. I don't think that the content necessarily has to be architectural. Gotcha. So think along the lines of like what we, of the, um, of the fairy tales competition, uh -huh. uh, which we did submit to. And I think we wanted to talk about briefly, right. um, but I don't know how that really plays much into what we've discussed so far. Well, in a yeah. sense, it's sort of the impetus of your seminar, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, so let me, maybe we can kind of 
dig into that real quick. I wanted to talk for a second about perspective. Okay. And I think a lot of the times, a lot of this design fiction that we'll see, uh, and Archigram's been accused of this, of approaching it from a non-human perspective. Yeah. Um, and in Empathic Futures Labs, I think that's going to be one of the big things that we're going to find is really important is that we approach this from a human perspective. Right. And you can, you know, this, I mean, it happens in, in movies too. You can think about Tarantino and the idea of his trunk scene in which you are like a dead body mm-hmm. or you're some sort of object right. placed into a trunk looking out. Right. Um, looking out into the world and you're not actually a person. Right. Um, and then tying that back into the these Renaissance ideas in terms of, in terms of perspective, Mm-hmm. And how you how you build that fiction from a from a personal perspective view does that make it more relatable? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think is the question. Well, I think I think um, how you solve that, or at least in my mind, how you solve that is to go about and and actually use human focused vocabulary in a sense, right? It's it's gotcha. um, when you're writing your brief or discussing this project, do you start to use words like? or at least how do you focus someone on the person, right? I don't want to go about and say use words like user or consumer or occupant, right? Those are like, I don't know, people, it seems like those are, really. yeah, in a way, and, and they're just so overused. Even empathy and empathic has sort of become cliche, even though we've kind of named our blog after it. It, it has been in a way kind of cliched um, in, in the industry, in the design industry. It's maybe not the architectural design industry. I never use any of those words at work, but... Uh, at least maybe in the more tech or branded spaces or the environmental spaces um, it's become cliched but I I still think it's important maybe to to keep your word choice that way versus a more architectural word choice where something like sleek or sexy or clean I mean these are all things we use at work to describe design Um, clean uh, planes massing right it's object based yeah that's the point I'm trying to make it's like how do you how do you write a design brief or keep keep these problems focused in a way that's towards humans and I think a lot of it is comes down to how we think about it in terms of language yeah so I think that as a translation to really quick how much time do you have for this I don't know five ten minutes Okay, so that is a translation to what we submitted for our fairy tales competition, which arguably I think our idea and narrative was pretty pretty solid. Yeah. I don't think our graphics were quite as good. No, our graphics were not ones, as good. Is the ones that that won, which you well, know, well they just were have they were different graphics, uh, but well, they the also just weren't as good. Stunning yeah, it's stunning. Um, no, and true. the stories were, we need to go through and read those. The stories were probably pretty good I'm as sure well. they were. I'm sure they um, were. But we, we established the, this idea that we kind of wanted to focus on what would an artificial intelligence uh, be like that had a form and kind of worked for you and your house and, you know, met your preferences and, and ideas and was able to actually constitute its own form and, and sort of work around your house and we can include a link to that probably as well yeah for sure um but what we ended up doing was we approached the entire story from the perspective of the ai um starting with it being almost unreasonably goofy to the point where it's more humanistic i think at the end more personal yeah uh, personified at the end of the story yeah um but one thing that really kind of bugged me um, not in a bad way, but as like maybe a constructive critique for what we did was we did this whole thing 
And then at the end, I kind of realized that we had set up this environment in which we only, we set it up as the perspective of the AI so that this AI as an object never left the home. Right. And therefore, we never, we never saw the two main human characters interacting with anyone but it. Right. Um, and it's, and it's, it's sort of set in this suburban island that you have your house and right. it takes that idea of suburbia where it's this like, like protectionism almost and just takes that forward like 50 years and it's yeah. like it's most extreme ends in which you never have to leave in right. which um, it can build Paris for you in your living room right. and you never have to go experience Paris on your own. As um, opposed to sort of the, the Blade Runner idea where you can bring the AI with you and kind of project it in these through a portable projector somewhere else. Blade Runner. Yeah. 2049, where he brings the lady with him to like all these different. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, even still, like you're setting up that microcosm between you and it, and you don't have to interact with others. Right. um, Which I thought was really interesting. Well, I don't know if that was a fault or something that was just kind of came out of. We didn't we didn't intentionally design that narrative into it. But it's definitely subtly there in the background if you're really digging for right. it. Well, I think that's a really good point because that's what I think is so useful about these ideas of design fiction is that you make these choices about how you design the future. And we made this choice about how we're designing this house to be mo- um, so modular in the sense that it can be anything, right? You can take this module of we had this like these little balls that kind of go around and make things. Or at least they're represented as little balls. But essentially, it's like 3D printed dust or something. Yeah. You can go around um, and make things. Smart but like dust. we, yeah, smart dust. We 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 designed it in a way that they could go around and create any sort of environment that you want. And yeah, I think definitely an unintentional consequence. But hopefully, that's something that you'll kind of see more and more of, especially if you go through or able to go through the seminar. Is like what decisions did your students make in in creating these narratives and what sort of ideas come out of it like you were just discussing that were not really intended to be there yeah yeah and i i i think that is really in part due to the perspective that we took in telling that story yeah yeah uh through the vision of the ai that's probably true so it's like perspective is something that's extremely important in terms of figuring out how you want to tell these stories about the future definitely that was that was sort of my driving point is that i think perspective is super important and you have to start with a real grounded background uh, Mm -hmm. for how you do this and then i think once you answer those two primary things then you can really start having a powerful compelling idea for how you can answer the future and it might actually start setting up that roadmap yeah yeah no i think that's a really good point um yeah because everything you make, everything we kind of you kind of do with doing this is a design in and of itself. You're sort of designing the narrative. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm excited to see where your where the students of the seminar go. I'm hoping, hopefully, it's improved. We'll, yeah, we'll see if, I'm, if we can get money to do it. They also said that they're trying to decrease the number of seminars we oh, have. Oh, really? Dang! <laughs> For the curriculum, I'm like, oh shoot. Well, it could be a it would be a good idea anyway, and I might try. I might I could always do it as an independent study. Yeah. Like find some students that are interested. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you wanted to touch on? I, uh, I think that, that... Was it. we hit all the primary points that okay. I was interested in touching. Okay. I think we did good on time, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, we're good.
right. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, if you enjoyed it, or I guess even if you didn't, please rate us on iTunes uh, or wherever you get your podcast from. And feel free to comment, too. Love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Thank you. Tomorrow's thoughts. Today. Tomorrow's thoughts. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs>